Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Monica Molinaro, who is an assistant professor at the Institute of Health Sciences Education at McGill University in Canada. We're here to discuss the paper she has published recently here in the BJGP as part of her postdoctoral work at McMaster University. The paper is titled, You're Doing Everything You Possibly Could Do and You Know It's Not Enough, Family Physician Narratives of Moral Distress. So thanks, Monica, for joining me here today to discuss this really interesting paper that focuses more on how health outcomes and social inequities are impacting on family physicians or GPs. Could you tell us a bit more about the background to this research and why you decided to do this study? Totally. So I have a background or expertise, I should say, in using narrative methodologies to explore moral distress in healthcare providers. And so when it came time to think about postdoctoral work and research projects, that was when I spoke to Meredith Vanstone, who's the senior author on this work, um, who's affiliated in the Department of Family Medicine at McMaster, about potentially doing a project there. And some of the topics that we talked about were the fact that I was finishing my PhD roughly in the middle of what I would say was the COVID pandemic. And in that, there was a massive proliferation of inequity that was happening. People weren't able to afford housing. The cost of living went up significantly. Um, There were many more individuals who were experiencing issues with their mental health in some capacity. And knowing this and having discussions about this and simultaneously discussions about my expertise, we discussed maybe it would be good to do a broader study looking at the health and social implications of caring for persons who experience inequity and simultaneously as well understanding the experiences of those persons experiencing inequity in some capacity. Yeah, and you've touched upon this a bit that this was a qualitative study. It was a study talking to family physicians. So you spoke to 20 Uh, family physicians who worked with patients experiencing these health needs as a result of social inequity. But tell us about this concept of moral distress and what did it mean to these doctors? How did they describe it? So moral distress was originally conceptualized in the context of nursing by Andrew Jamieton. And the definition, I might give you an almost verbatim definition, but it's when one knows the right thing to do, but institutional or other constraints make it nearly impossible for that to happen. And the point of this definition of moral distress was to kind of display how one can feel morally tied between um, different factors that are right, but ultimately for whatever reason, not be able to do what they felt was right for their patient in some way. But one thing that we had noticed was that family medicine was kind of not mentioned when it came to the literature on moral distress at all. So we wanted to explore it just to see if anyone um, had anything to say about it. And It was very evident very quickly in the interviews that almost all of the participants experienced moral distress in some capacity. So some of them would mention it outright and say, yes, I 100% experience moral distress and this is what my moral distress looks like. Other participants wouldn't necessarily explicitly state that they experience moral distress, but they would 
hint at experiences of moral distress, saying things like, I couldn't do what I wanted to do for this patient. I wasn't able to do this. Oftentimes I feel quite helpless or hopeless in the work that I'm doing because of this and that. And oftentimes their experiences of moral distress were related to um, remuneration structures here in Canada. So how much they could get compensated for the work that they were providing. And typically when you provide care for patients who are considered to have complex health needs, you typically get paid less. Um, On top of that, because there was increasing complexity in patients' health conditions, often due to social factors, you need more time to be able to provide care for these patients in some capacity. And obviously that was not happening in any way. But then on top of that, a lot of the physicians in this study were having patients come into their office where the ultimate root of the health issues that they were experiencing were because they had very precarious housing or were unhoused or weren't making enough money to be able to afford good food. And because of that, the health conditions that they experienced became worse in some way. And so often what happened in the interviews of these participants were they discussed experiences of bearing witness to the consequences of experiencing social inequity, but also knowing ultimately at the end of the day, I can't per- I can't prescribe safe housing to this person. That's ultimately what they need. If they're sleeping rough on the floor of a shelter, I can prescribe them sleeping medication, but that's not what's going to ultimately help them move forward with a lot of the health issues that they're experiencing. Yeah, I think one thing that you said was particularly challenging coming from the background at working as a clinician, and that is feeling helpless or hopeless. And that's not really a good place to be as a clinician. Did anyone of your interviews discuss how that was impacting on their work or how they managed those feelings of helplessness? Mm, yeah, there there were multiple participants who mentioned that Um, at times you kind of learn how to live with it. It almost feels like it's a ubiquitous feature of the work in some capacity that feeling hopeless or helpless in being able to help your patients is just a part of being a family physician now or a general practitioner now. Um, There were other participants who mentioned that Um, If they had focused areas of practice, as an example, or if they had certain patient populations that they were seeing, some of them ultimately had to let go of certain patient populations or have to delegate those patient populations to other physicians because ultimately they're not able to handle the workload in any way. Um, We also had participants mentioned that knowing what they know now and working in the healthcare system and in being a family physician, if they were able to do it all over again, back going back to medical school, um, some of them wouldn't have chosen to be a family physician because I think there's often a misconception that family medicine is one of the easier routes of medicine to pursue in some capacity. But in reality, if you're someone who's really trying to get patients the best care that they can possibly get and spending that time and energy to make sure that you're treating your patients' medical needs, but also treating them holistically in some way, you're often sacrificing most of your time outside of your working hours to be able to do that for them in some way. And sometimes that's administrative burden. So doing paperwork, sending emails, things like that. But ultimately, a lot of the physicians in this study were sacrificing a lot of their personal time to make sure that their patients were getting the care that they need. So many of them just discussed feeling 
tired, burnt out, um, having a lot of difficulty being able to navigate caring for all of their patients and all of their patients' needs and providing that care well in some way. I think this paper is really interesting because we've published quite a lot of research in the BJGP about the recruitment and retention crisis in general practice. And I don't know if this angle of moral distress has really come out in some of the work. So I think this work has important implications for thinking about retention and of GPs who, as you say, might be feeling burnt out or jaded as a result of the experiences they're having. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. So um, the other thing that you mentioned was that some doctors felt like they couldn't do anything about some of the societal and broader systemic constraints that were affecting their patients' health, for instance, housing or you know, capacity to buy meals or food. Did any of the doctors talk about taking more of an activist role to sort of try to change things from a policy level? Or did they just accept that that was their lot, really, or the lot of their patients? A lot of the physicians in the study mentioned taking on an activist role or really embodying that activist role in some capacity. And so most of them had mentioned as a result of working with the patients that they did, they wanted to take on those activist roles in some capacity. So many of the physicians in our study worked in broader provincial policy groups, local policy groups. A lot of them worked with activist groups at a local level, um, including activist groups on safe and affordable housing, activist groups on safe supply and safe drug use. Um, But almost all of the physicians in this study, and I think that we had a very particular group of physicians that participated in this study, really felt as though it was their responsibility in some capacity to be able to advocate on behalf of their patients. And I also want to note that activism takes on different forms with these physicians. So some of them, as I mentioned, joined broader groups or or broader advocacy groups in some way. But in other ways, other physicians still engaged in forms of advocacy, but it was on a much more micro level. So what that may look like is holding on to a patient or not releasing a patient who often won't show up for their appointments on time or won't show up at all, maintaining relationships with patients who maybe don't have their provincial health card in some way, which means that that physician is not being remunerated for the work in any way, Um, still taking care of patients who are known to have Um, behaviors that maybe other physicians wouldn't necessarily tolerate in their offices in any way, or standing up for those patients in conversations with other physicians or other healthcare providers. So the levels of advocacy that these physicians took on really varied, and it really was amongst a spectrum. But I would argue that every physician that participated in this study took part in advocacy in some way. Are there any other main key findings that you want to highlight from this paper or this work? I think the biggest thing that I want to highlight is that we can advocate for better remuneration or remuneration structures that allow for physicians to provide better, more holistic care for their patients. We can advocate for team-based structures where patients can have access to social workers or systems navigators, which are incredibly helpful. And those, those factors will help in some capacity, but ultimately, If nothing changes in regard to the funding of health and social policy at 
local levels, at provincial levels in particular, then this isn't going to change. Physicians or family physicians in particular are that last resort downstream solution to these broader health and social policy issues. So if nothing is going to happen at the level of the health and social policy, nothing is going to happen to help these physicians or help these patients in any way. Mm, Really sobering words there and almost a call for action really to think about how we can make systems better. But for those family physicians or GPs who are working at the coalface and are experiencing this moral distress, do you have any take-home messages for what they can do or any advice to GPs who are feeling this moral distress? I want to ponder that one for a second, but I'll tell you why. Because when I think about moral distress and how we're conceptualizing moral distress and what the roots, if you will, of these moral distress are, it has to do with structural issues. And I understand, so yeah. It's hard to subscribe to an individualized approach for a structural issue in some way. One thing I will say, though, is that I appreciate those physicians who are taking that much extra time and that much extra care to really help their patients get the care that they need. Because I understand that a lot of that work is completely unrecognized. And a lot of that work oftentimes kind of falls by the wayside in some way. So taking the time to be able to do all that extra work for your patients is something that I think needs to be recognized more and appreciated more. I think perhaps it was in some ways a bit of an unfair question. It's like asking, what should GPs do if they're feeling burnt out? And the answer is not necessarily a solution at an individual level. It's the structural and system issues that are creating these burnt out doctors. It's (laughs) not down to an individual making the change, which is probably a fallacy, really. So I think that's a great place to wrap things up. But I just wanted to say thanks very much, Monica, for joining me here today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you all very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. Monica's original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. It's fascinating to hear more about this concept of moral distress and some of the wider impacts on GPs, including the impact on workload, payment and burnout, which links into some of our other published work here in the journal. Thanks again for listening and bye. Bye.